Please listen carefully. Coming up in this episode, news about the latest ransomware attacks against large multinational companies, in some cases causing them to actually replace complete PCs, and then we'll go move on to the main subject, which we'll talk about ransomware, how it's developed over the years, where it came from, where it's going. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the OMG Cybersecurity Podcast. This is a cybersecurity podcast with a different perspective. And shock horror, no sponsor ads at all. That's right, no adverts, just chat, interviews, news, best practice, and anything else we can squeeze in. My name is Martin Overton, and I will be your host. I have over 30 years of hands-on cybersecurity experience, including over 30 years of combating malware, over 15 years doing ethical hacking, including social engineering, Hacking the Human, and over 10 years of digital forensics and instant response to call on. As the quote goes, I not only use all the brains I have, but all that I can borrow. That's attributed to Woodrow Wilson. So why not let me borrow your brains? Come and join me. Be a guest on the podcast. This episode's breaking news is Lockagoga or Lockagoga, however you pronounce it. It's not your typical ransomware, but it is big news as it's hit some very large organizations already this year, including Outran, a large French engineering company, hit in late January. And this very last week, we became aware that Norsk Hydro became the latest victim of this new ransomware strain. It's also come to light that two other organizations were also victims of Lockagoga. These are Hexian and Momentive, both in the US. Kaspersky also claimed to know of other victims around the world. So what is Lockagoga and how is it different from other ransomware? Well, the main difference is that it's manually deployed after the bad guys and girls have compromised or hacked into an organization's infrastructure, usually by using known vulnerabilities, so unpatched systems, open but insecure services, maybe such as RDP. And once in, the bad guys and girls map out the network, identifying important data stores, repositories, such as file shares, databases, backups, etc. They then manually deploy the ransomware. Now, this may also be done by hacking the Active Directory server and gaining domain admin rights. So this basically gives them the full rights to any system within the domain. Lockagoga is very noisy as it's deployed and executed. So most good network and system monitoring tools and SIEM systems should see the activity and set off the alarms to your SOC or your IT stuff. Unfortunately, by then, it's probably too late. Unlike other ransomware, it doesn't phone home. It doesn't use a CNC or a command and control infrastructure or make a demand for a specific payment or a value of payment. Instead, the ransom note asks you to contact the bad guys and girls that deployed it for a price to get the decryption key or keys. From a positive note, of the currently known instance caused by Lockagoga, only Norsk Hydro seems to have actually handled it well, involving the correct parties at the right time. It looks like their instant response plan worked, which is a real bonus. They also seem to have had off-site physical backups, which will then they will then use to restore systems. Some of the other organizations that were victims are buying new computers to replace those impacted which is obviously a bit of a, 
overkill situation. Norsk Hydro also have cyber insurance, which has, will have helped them in the initial handling of the incident, including potentially covering initial costs. And they should be able to claim back the cleanup costs and any lost business costs too, up to their agreed limit, excluding any waiting period in excess. However, this may still mean that they, were at, they are out of pocket for any losses and costs above their coverage limit. It will be interesting to see if they make this information public or not, as this could help others understand the real cost of such an incident. Anyway, hats off to Norse Hydro for being transparent as much as they could do. Not paying up, which is always a bonus, and having proper backups. A final twist in this appears to be that the Police Federation of England and Wales also appear to have fallen victim to a ransomware attack, which sounds suspiciously like Lockagoga, although there have been no, has been no official confirmation of exactly which ransom where they were hit by. One last note on Lockagoga. Apparently it uses stolen digital certificates. Luckily these are now revoked, which may have allowed it to be whitelisted, trusted by the operating system and also some security tools. Furthermore, the email addresses it uses are utilising ProtonMail. This is a secure email platform. It's mainly an attempt to make it harder to trace the bad guys and girls behind it. So this next segment, we are going to look at ransomware, where it came from, how long ago, how it developed, where's it going, and more, including how to potentially protect yourself. Buckle up. Are you sitting comfortably? Make sure you got your popcorn. We're about to start. Ransomware is not new. I wonder how you, how many of you actually realise just how old ransomware is and when it first appeared. Any guesses? No, it's fine. Don't worry. I will tell you. Believe it or not, the very first ransomware appeared in 1989. Yes, you heard that right. 1989, before we had networking, before we had the internet for most of us. It's been around a long, long time. And I'll sort of cover in the, in the next section a bit more about how things have changed and what's occurred during the first since the very first ransomware back in 1989. So let's go back in time. Okay, let's talk about the very first ransomware. This was the so-called Age Trojan, which was supplied on a five and a quarter inch, some of you may remember the floppy disk, to thousands of attendees of the World Health Organization's AIDS conference, and also mailed out to over 20,000 individuals across Europe. That's a lot. The disc was created by PC Cyborg, which was the company run by Dr. Joseph Pop, and it contained a program that claimed to work out your risk chance of catching AIDS, now called HIV. If you inserted the disc into your IBM or compatible PC and ran the program, it would indeed do what it claimed. However, after 90 boots or reboots, the malicious payload, the encryption, would trigger and you would see a screen that was basically telling you that all your data was encrypted. Ironically, if you'd actually read the end user license agreement, of course we all read the end user license agreement, don't we? That came with the disk, it clearly explained that you needed to pay a license fee to use it and that it would encrypt your system if you didn't pay. Doesn't that sound familiar? Luckily, the program, the AIDS Trojan, used trivial encryption and soon a decryption tool was written by Jim Bates and which was given away for free. He also wrote up his analysis of the Trojan as the term ransomware didn't exist back in 1989. 
An arrest warrant was issued by New Scotland Yard and Dr. Joseph Pop was eventually arrested at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam during a routine baggage inspection. From that date, his behaviour became rather erratic. He was held in Brixton Prison in the UK until he was due to go to, to appear at court. There have been reports that he was known to wear a cardboard box while in prison and that when he finally appeared in court, that he had curlers in his beard and a condom on his nose to apparently ward off radiation. Whatever the real state of his appearance in court, he was declared mentally unfit to stand trial and returned to the United States without charge. Other researchers, Young and Young, spelt with a U and an OU, analysed the Trojan in more detail and, in, and wrote a paper on it in 1996, pointing out its many flaws. But the major one was that it used symmetric single key encryption rather than asymmetric public key cryptography, public private key cryptography. Most modern ransomware now uses the latter as in the public key cryptography. And this means that unless you have access to the private key, you can't decrypt the encrypted data unless the encryption method is not properly implemented. So now let's look at the rebirth, so the, the start of modern ransomware. So not surprisingly, the bad guys and girls were taking notes. And in the early noughties, over early 2000s, we saw the rebirth or the birth of modern ransomware. Of course, it used public key cryptography, PGP, GPG. Some of the earlier new versions were named PGP or GPG, GPG coder. However, the problem was how to get the money from a victim without being caught or unmasked. Always a tricky issue for any extortionist or blackmailer in the days before cryptocurrencies actually existed. We saw a small, compared to the explosion that was to follow, number of these new ransomware. But all was, that was all about to change in 2009 when the first launch of a little cryptocurrency called Bitcoin, which was invented in 2008. It took a few years for the cyber criminals, the bad guys and girls to catch on to the value of Bitcoin as a method of payment for ransomware and other crimes. But by around the start of 2013, they started to embrace Bitcoin and ransomware exploded over the next four to five years. The first modern ransomware that took full advantage of not only public key cryptography, but also Bitcoin was known as CryptoRocker. Many saw the success of this malware and promptly developed their own ransomware strains. Once CryptoLocker had arrived, ransomware quickly became a thriving way to make money for the bad guys and girls. It became a business, let's be honest. Estimates appear that claim that in 2015, ransomware netted, according to the FBI, over 24 million US dollars. In the first three months of 2016, this had grown to over 209 million US dollars. And Kaspersky claimed that ransomware tax tripled in 2016. Things just got worse in 2017 as we saw the first worm-enabled ransomware, which we were expecting to be quite honest, it was not really that much of a surprise, which obviously can move from system to system without human help. 2017 is remembered for two major ransomware attacks, WannaCry in May and then NotPetya in June. Both were worms, both using the Eternal Blue exploit from the NSA. The problem with NotPetya was although it acted like ransomware, it was re in reality a wiper. So you could even pay up, but you'd never get your data back. According to Cybersecurity Ventures, they predict, predict that ransomware will cost 6 trillion US dollars 
annually by 2021. But things are going to change. Let me cover that in the next section. Before we move on to the next section, we're to really clarify there have been two types of modern ransomware. Two types. One of them is a locker, which is not really using crypto technology whatsoever. It simply normally pops up a message on your screen when you become infected or impacted, saying that uh, you have fallen foul of some law, usually pretending to be from some law enforcement agency, and saying your PC has been locked until you pay up. Now, obviously, the payment is via cryptocurrency in much the same way as normal, but there's no encryption involved. It's quite trivial to normally get rid of this and to get back to normal. Now, the second variant, which is the one that we normally see and most people know, is, is what we call tra proper traditional ransomware. Now, this is crypto ransomware. So whenever you get infected by that, the, 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 the ransomware will actually encrypt your data. Now, that will be your um, office files, Word documents, spreadsheets, databases, etc., but also all your music files, possibly, um, also all your pictures, etc. And they are two distinct types. And the one that we see most of, and have certainly seen the most of since about really from early 2013, has been the crypto ransomware. Yes, I know quite a lot of you Windows users out there are going to say, no problem, I've been hit by ransomware. I've got backups. I could always use a restore point or uh, volume shadow copies. I can actually get my data back without having to pay up. Well, guess what? The bad guys, certainly with most modern ransomware, this is well well written, actually know about these technologies. So your restore points, guess what? They're gone. They've been deleted. Same with your volume shadow copies. They've been deleted. And if you're using backups, that's great. But if you actually have your backup device, say a USB hard drive or a NAS drive attached when it strikes, guess what? They found it too and have almost certainly encrypted it. Same with cloud, knows about things like OneDrive, etc., and Dropbox. So you really are down to the situation that if you haven't got off-site backups or disconnected backups, you are going to have to pay up to get your data back. So what of the future? As mentioned previously, things were about to change in 2018, actually from the last quarter of 2017. During 2018, we saw the number of ransomware attacks shrink. When I say ransomware attacks, I'm talking about the mass ransomware attacks. But the average ransom being charged increased significantly. Why? Well, the bad guys and girls moved to a more targeted approach often manually hacking an organization's infrastructure, mapping out their network, and then encrypting the organization's crown jewels. Often parts of this mapping would identify where the backups were, and these would either be erased securely or encrypted too. They started to look for high-value targets rather than use the previous scattergun approach, the mass mailing approach that we saw previously during 2015 to 2017. And secondly, writing ransomware is not trivial if it's done properly. So the bad guys and girls were also looking for other ways to monetize vulnerable systems, ones that they can hack, either manually or via an automated script. They decided to steal the processing power of compromised systems to mine cryptocurrency instead. Less work, less risk, and more profit. It was a match made in heaven. And I blogged about crypto jacking recently, so you can find that on my blog. However, I don't think we've seen the back of ransomware. The bad guys and girls may have moved on to crypto jacking and extortion scams. 
However, they will continue to hold data and systems to ransom where the payout is worth the effort. Increasingly, this means public services, government, healthcare, education and law enforcement, including law firms, as well as the more traditional targets, retail, travel, finance, manufacturing, etc. Ironically, less than 24 hours after I posted a blog about this, Norsk Hydro was hit by a manually deployed ransomware. In this case, it was Lokagoga, which I spoke about earlier, which uses the same approach as other manually deployed ransomware, such as Samsam. The victim's infrastructure is penetrated via a vulnerability or an insecure open port, and the bad guys and girls map out the network and then deploy them ransomware personally. So now we've gone through the, the growth and the type, different types of ransomware and the way they've been deployed and how the, the uh, landscape has changed. Let's move on to protection. So what can you do to actually help make sure that you are not the next victim? So the first thing to do is obviously harden and patch all your systems including applications and cloud infrastructure. If they're not secure, the bad guys will find a way in. Use unique passwords for all access, even better, use two or multi-factor authentication, but not SMS-based, so not text-based. Install and run anti-malware, endpoint server protection, uh, and on servers, enable and configure the firewall. And if it's a web server, protect it via a web application firewall, what's known as a WAF too. Remove all the default accounts and sample content on web and database servers, etc. Close off ports for remote administration, especially things like RDP and other ports that are widely used, or put them behind a virtual private network, a secure network which can only be accessed by specific IP addresses or with uh, clients that actually have a specific uh, certificate or something to get into the system. This includes RDP, Telnet, SSH, and others. Stay aware of the new threats and countermeasures, both specific and generic, because a lot of the generic techniques out there will actually deal with a lot of these threats. Train and test your staff, as they are often the first and last line of defense. They can make the difference between you being breached and you not being breached. They are, should be part of your security infrastructure. Take backups. When I say backups, I don't mean just mirroring systems from one system to another. Take good off-site backups, physically off-site, not in the cloud, test that they work. Do a restore, because a backup is no good to you if you've never tested a restore. Good chances it won't work otherwise when you go when you really need it. That way you have the option to recover your systems and data without having to pay the bad guys and girls in the first place. If you are using Office 365 or G Suite, enable 2FA or, multi, uh, or MFA, two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, and do not allow the services to be accessed via IMAP or POP3. We've seen a bit of a outbreak just recently where the bad guys are actually bypassing two-factor or multi-factor authentication using these old protocols. If you don't need them, switch them off. If you have a cyber or, cyber or crime insurance, check that ransomware is covered by the policy. Most cyber insurance policies currently do cover this, but property and casualty properties don't. Well, that's it for me about this particular subject. So let's call this section question of the day. So this is an area where you can actually ask me questions and I'll try and give you an answer. So today's question of the day to stay on theme is about ransomware and other things it can potentially impact. 
did you know that we've already seen attacks against the Internet of Things? We've already seen attacks against smart TVs and other consumer smart devices. But did you know that there have also been attacks against building controls? Well, yes, really. We saw a building in Finland that had its heating controls held to ransom. Of course, it was in the middle of winter, so there was not much choice but to pay up. I suspect that we will see more of this type of what I call denial of service ransomware attacks later this year. Imagine in the future that your autonomous car, your self-driving car, gets impacted by a ransomware and you either can't use it until you pay the bad guys and girls, or even worse, it kidnaps you and drives you to an unknown place, locking you into the car until you pay to be released and gain control of the car's systems again. What a scary thought, hey? So, have you got a question you'd like me to answer? Pretty much anything to do with cybersecurity, or is there a particular person you'd like me to interview, or a topic you'd like me to cover in more detail? Please feel free to reach out to me. So that's it for this show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Normally, I try to have a guest on to actually talk about other things, get a different perspective. But this is really talk. Think of this as a sampler. Like what you hear? Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from so that we know if you like what you hear. And if not, tell us how we can make it better. Well, apart from getting rid of the host. Want to get in contact with us? Well, you can contact us via Twitter at omgcybersec, via the contact form on our website at https colon forward slash forward slash omgcybersecurity.co.uk or via the voice message function on the Anchor FM app. Well, that's it for this episode. So until next time, stay safe out there. Ta-ta for now. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you won't miss out on the next episode. Thank you for listening.